Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, April 28th. 2016. Trying to remember the last time I did an episode quite like this. Yep, nope, not coming to mind. (laughs) Maybe I'm just getting old. I think that's how that works. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to, you know, open up our Bible. Yeah, that's right. To check and see what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, that's unfortunately how that gets pitched. And uh, what we find is is what they're saying, well, it doesn't actually square with what God's Word says. Instead, they're twisting God's Word, innovating, making stuff up, I mean, and blaming it on God, um, and generally teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. You're going to hear a lot of that today, by the way. And, uh, in fact, we should probably talk about what we're going to do and, like, get right to it. I hate to, like, just rush through the beginning, and there's, like, no monologue because— what we got to cover here is, whoa, we're going to start, we're going to begin with a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, and we're going to listen to Todd Bentley claim that he had some kind of a mantle dream. Mm-hmm. We'll switch gears, we'll head over to the Presence Conference in, you know, kind of staying under the uh, Prophetic Holy Orders uh, umbrella, if you would, and listen to Samuel Rodriguez at the Presence Conference talk about having a mantle and not being afraid to use it. That's right. I've got a mantle, and I'm not afraid to use it. And then um, Phil Pringle from the President's Conference, which recently concluded, basically um, <laughs> saying something that is like head-scratchingly bizarre and weird. And uh, yeah, you, you have to hear it to believe it. In fact, I almost feel like before we get to <laughs> – I think we should play our standard warning before we get into the program proper today – and then, um, and then we're going to listen to a series of uh, guys at the Presence Conference, including coming back to Samuel Rodriguez, Jay Johns, and then Louis Giglio. Louis Giglio was one of the Presence Conference speakers, 
And boy, did he, wow, talk about engaging in Bible twisting in order to fleece people and teach for shameful gain things he ought not to teach. Holy guacamole. You think Giglio is solid? No. He's a total sellout, and you'll see that in today's episode. Somewhere in there, we'll take a break. I'm not exactly sure how the breaks are going to work with this episode. Again, I can't remember the last time I did an episode like this. Then we um, to end the the first hour off, and we might be a little longer than an hour, we're going to listen to Craig Groeschel preaching at Joel Osteen's building. Notice I didn't call it a church. Yeah, Craig Groeschel preaching at Joel Osteen's building. Yeah, that's right. Craig Groeschel was there. And then in hour number two, we're going to head over to Gateway Church and listen to Robert Morris uh, and uh, twist God's word regarding John chapter 10. You know, John chapter 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And apparently that means if you're not getting direct revelation from Jesus, well, then you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, we're going to take that uh, that John chapter 10 passage, fill it out using the uh, biblical principle of Scripture interpret Scripture to demonstrate that Jesus is not saying there in John chapter 10 that unless you receive direct revelation from him and hear his voice directly apart from Scripture, that you're, you're not one of his sheep. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. So we got a lot of ground that we need to cover today. Let me start by playing our standard warning because, again, I don't even know what to do with this first hour or how even to describe what it is you're going to listen to. So I think we better play our standard warning and then we'll get right into it. So here we go. Warning. Fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. You've been warned. at an English fair One evening I was there When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are standing in a row Big ones, small ones Some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist That's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Every ball you throw will make me rich there stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roly bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Roly bowl a ball, roly bowl a ball, singing roly bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Uh huh. So we're. <laughs> going to head over to Fresh Fire Ministries to begin this really bizarre opening hour here at Fighting for the Faith as we listen to Todd Bentley talk about some dream mantle thing that it involves Catherine Kuhlman and 
mantles and you know stuff like that. That's <laughs> that's the only way I could describe it because none of this is even biblical. Here's uh, Todd Bentley. How many of you realize when you have a dream, it's like a capsule gets put inside of your spirit? Yeah. And then as the days and hours, I've even had weeks, the revelation begins to unfold. The understanding begins to unfold. This is definitely a top ten dream. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Teaching your dreams rather than the word of God, which is what God's word actually says not to do. And it was such a real dream, it felt to me as if it was literal. Like I literally went back in time and met one of God's generals in a dream last night. And I called the dream back to the future because I went back in time and brought the mantle back to the future. Yeah, I'm going to resist all urges to go into a gratuitous Fighting for the Faith musical interlude just due to the fact that we really don't even have time for that. But if you want to just, you know, imagine, you know, Huey Lewis in the news, you know, going back in time. I mean, go ahead and imagine that right here. I mean, we're talking about dreams anyways. Yeah. So there's something current day and moving forward with my back to the future dream where I met a God's general where when I woke up from the dream this morning, I thought, Lord, was that a literal encounter or was that a dream? No, that wasn't from God, and it was probably uh, pizza. Yeah, a bad piece of pepperoni, you know. Because I don't have a lot of prophetic dreams. And when I have a prophetic dream, it, it really has to be the Lord. And, and in 17 years of preaching, this... Yeah, actually, you twist God's word, and there's no reason whatsoever to believe that the origin of this dream is actually God top 10 prophetic dreams I've ever received. And you know how when you get revelation, you get confirmation. And it starts in your spirit, and as you begin to press in for understanding, the Lord gives you understanding. Let me just throw out two significant dates, because you need to mark these dates. Okay. As I share the dream. Because it may become a word of knowledge. But 1966 and 1974... 1966. Yeah, those aren't dates. Those are years. Dates are very specific. Those are just years. And 1974. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Does that mean anything to anybody in the room here today? Tulsa, Oklahoma. Those dates, particularly 19. You're doing a cold reading, really? Yeah, this is a cold reading technique designed, you know, really literally created by psychics. 74, 1966. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Anybody from Tulsa? And you happen to be in the room? Does 1974 mean anything to you? 1966? Yeah, wow. I mean, he, you know, apparently these, it, it just ain't working. Try again. But you're from Tulsa. You're the only person in the room from Tulsa. All right. Somebody is, stand- somebody is standing, standing up there from, so we got somebody from Tulsa, but we're unsure as to whether or not 1966 or 74 applies to them. We will figure this out. For a moment. And Matt, right? Come up close, Matt. That wasn't prophetic. I know Matt. But I did not know Matt was from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, Tulsa, Oklahoma is important because in 1974, Catherine Coleman preached a message called Nothing with God is Impossible. Everything about her message was about the impossible. And it was- ah, So 74 is important because of Catherine Coleman. Right. But holy hunger and desperation. And I really felt like the fire, you know, we had a Tulsa ignited 
30 day revival. Something got ignited in Tulsa. How was <laughs> Did you call the fire department? in Oklahoma City, and the Lord's been speaking to me about revival again through Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Wichita, Kansas, all the way up to St. Louis, Missouri, Interstate 35, Interstate 40, Interstate 44. <clears throat> this morning, I believe that you're a prophetic sign of a dream that I had with Catherine Coleman last night. Mm, yeah, so this guy named Matt standing in front of Todd Bentley right now is... He's a prophetic sign regarding the dream about Catherine Kuhlman, you know, the Back to the Future thing, right? I dream, I told you I met at God's Generals, I met Catherine Kuhlman in 1974 in a dream, in a theater. About 3,000 people were in a theater, and Catherine Kuhlman was ministering in a white dress, and I stood on the stage and had a conversation last night in my dream with Catherine Kuhlman that was so real, I believed it was real. And then, of course, we looked up 1974, Catherine Coleman. And you know where she was ministering in 1974 about the impossible? Well, again, that's a, a whole year. I mean, if Catherine Coleman was alive and well, um, and that was a big year for her, she probably went to more than just Tulsa, you know? Also Oklahoma. The Lord told me by a word of knowledge there would be one person in the meeting today from Tulsa, Oklahoma, as a prophetic sign that nothing is impossible, and the Catherine Coleman anointing and mantle is coming back to the future. Uh, what? What? The Catherine Coleman anointing is coming back to the future. What? Not just, oh God, we remember Catherine Coleman. No, it's coming back to current day, back to the future. Moving forward, the Catherine Coleman grace and anointing is going to be released upon the church. The fact that we have so many women here today, we have almost a packed house and a lot of women in the house. Now, coming back from California, I had no idea there was a women's conference and all the women would be, stay here, all the women would be in our meeting. And I said, Lord, of all the days I could talk about Catherine Coleman and, and the mantle, all the women from the women's conference would happen to be here visiting on a Sunday morning. Now, yeah, you know, he constantly, you know, he's just, he and God, I mean, they talk like, you know, they're like buds, you know. Yeah, clearly, you know, God and Todd Bentley, they're like BFFs, you know. I want to just have you come up here for a moment. Let me just say, you're going to be a carrier. You're going to be connected to ministries. He's going to be a carrier. Wow, yeah. I usually think of viruses when I think of carriers. Carriers of the Catherine Coleman anointing in Mantle. And the but he's a dude. Why would he want the Catherine Coleman anointing in Mantle? Possible and hunger for God and desperation, miracles, it's going to hit you. The glory of God's going to hit you, but hunger and desperation is going to hit you. And I saw... Hunger and desperation is going to hit you. Yeah, sign me up, yeah. Very embers of, of, of a fire that was ignited in Tulsa that will begin to burn and blaze again. Tulsa ablaze. Tulsa, Oklahoma will blaze. Now, you know what's amazing is Robert... Yeah, if you live in Tulsa, you might want to move. Sounds to me like God's going to nuke the place and it's just going to be ablaze. Laird and coming is from Tulsa, Oklahoma. But anyways, a lot of mantles and a lot of anointings were in Tulsa. Yeah, a lot of anointings, a lot of mantles. I mean, there's like mantles everywhere. It's like practical mantle farm, you know. A big harvest of mantles that year in Tulsa. And I had a word of knowledge. The Lord told me, he goes, as a prophetic sign of your message this morning on the Catherine Coleman mantle, there will be somebody from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, we're not done, by the way. 
Release a fresh anointing there in Jesus' name. Did you hunk a loogie on him? What was that? Whose birth year is 66? A woman. 1966. Stand up for a minute. I want you to come up here. There, there should be a 1966. Come up here. And a 1974. Is that another significant birth date in the room here today? That's not a birth date. That's a year. 74. Come up onto the platform. Okay, come up onto the platform. There's two of you responding. It's going to be a double portion. Come up onto the platform right now. Yeah, two of you. Come on quick. We, you know, we got double. You know, it's a double, double mantle anointing blessing thingy, right? All of you, all of you, quickly. Animal style with onions, you know. Onto the platform. Two responding from 66, two responding from 74, double, double. We're going to release a double, double portion. Oh, for crying out. It's just. Let me switch gears here. Uh, head to the Presence Conference. Uh, here's uh, Samuel Rodriguez from the recently concluded Presence Conference. So here it is. Final declaration upon you. Raise your right hand and tell your neighbor, I have a mantle. And I'm not afraid to use it. Are they like a weapon? Um... <laughs> So you have a mantle and you're not afraid to use it. Is are you use? Do you need to register your mantle with the, uh, eight? You know the, the ATF. I mean, hmm. I have a mantle and I'm not afraid to use it. Tell your other neighbor I have mountain moving faith, and I'm not afraid to use it. Tell your other neighbor I have sickness healing faith, and I'm not afraid to use it. Tell the other neighbor I have demon binding faith. And I'm not afraid to use it. Tell the other neighbor, I have devil rebuking faith. And I'm not afraid to use it. So- yeah, I have discernment. And uh, I'm not afraid to use it. And uh, this, none of this is biblical. I don't know what this is. Let me prophesy with this mantle. You, you, you will not tolerate failure. You will not surrender truth. You will not be silent. You will not listen to Ahab. You will not. You won't listen to Ahab. Who's listening to him? He's dead. Before Baal, you will not hide in caves and you will not. Okay. I won't hide in caves. Okay. Have Well. Where's the closest caves here in North Dakota? Jezebel to define your life with this man. Jezebel won't define my life. Okay, I've never let her do it in the past. Why would I let her do it in the future, you know? So what will you do? You will change the world. God. Yeah, no. Yeah, so I got a mantle and I'm not afraid to use it and I'm gonna... Change the world. Yeah, I don't think so. Still under Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Using uh, Phil Pringle appearing in this category. Kind of rare for him. Normally he's like vision casting leader. Uh, but uh, here again from the recently concluded Presence Conference is um, you know, <laughs> Phil Pringle. See if you can make any heads or tails of this theology. Don't you, don't you care? Yeah. When we refuse to raise our faith, we'll accuse God of being uncaring. When we refuse to increase, what, our faith, what? Oh yeah, there's a lot of people out there refusing to increase and grow their faith. What are you talking about? About our circumstance. They said, you don't care, we are perishing. You don't think God loves you because you're perishing. 
Your marriage is wobbly. Your sickness has come. But he's asleep. You say, wake up, wake up, do something for me. Move God, move God, move God. Sometimes he's saying like, well, I sent my son. I sent the Holy Spirit. I sent the word of God. Your move. What? Oh, wow. Okay, so, uh, all right, let's see if I got this straight. So. Uh, I just received a report. No, I haven't, but I mean, it was talking hypothetically. I just received a report that I have terminal cancer. Okay, so I got terminal cancer, so I call out to God, God, I'm perishing. And God's response is, I gave you the Bible, I sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, your move. It's up to you. What? Your, your time. Take a hold of it. What makes you think I got anything left up here? You- so God's saying, what makes you think I got anything left up here? Where are you getting this? You can do stuff, people. Christians hovering around the cross too long. I love the cross. Got saved there. Yeah, you've been hovering around the cross too long. You got to leave that cross thing behind, you know. But we're going to move from a savior to a lord. You move from savior to lord? What? What? He's ruling in our lives and we're ruling in life. We're living the life that he purchased for us to make us full human beings. Not some limping, chopped down experience of life. Rise up, lay hold of the promises. Pick up the sword of the spirit. Fight the good fight of faith. It's a great fight because you'll always win. All you gotta do, put up a bit of a fight. Just whatever fight you've got, just it might be just a tiny bit. And I'm preaching to you guys here. I hope you're hearing me. Yeah, wow. Um boy, that's just awful. Again, I don't remember the last time I did an episode quite like this. We are all over the map today. Um, normally I reserve this music for our money grubbing televangelist update, but we're going to be listening to, um, examples from the recently concluded, um, presence conference. We heard two examples of number one, Sam Rodriguez saying, I've got a mantle and I'm not afraid to use it. I think he needs to get his mantle registered with the ATF and Phil Pringle basically saying, Hey, God saying, I don't got anything. I gave you the Bible and I gave you the Holy spirit. What makes you think I can help you in the midst of your problems? It's, it's your ter- you got to go fix your own problems, uh, increase your faith, and you can go and conquer, you know. Uh-huh, right. And uh, now we're going to get examples of just what kind of fleecing took place at the Presence Conference. And uh, that w- in order to do that, we've got to do this. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira, now the Deutschmark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, 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 money. There's nothing like a newly minted money. Money, money, money. Everyone must angle for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that waits the world go round, round, round. You can keep your marks as ways, but it's only just a phase. For it's money, 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 
money, money, money, money, money, money. That's right. That's the money song. So, uh, yeah, Phil Pringle uh, just uh, recently concluded his uh, presence conference. They hold that every year there. And on the speaking docket included Samuel Rodriguez, whom you've already heard a little bit from, Phil Pringle himself, whom you already heard from. We're going to hear again from Samuel Rodriguez during the um, We're Going to Press You Hard for Money and Manipulate God's Word and Press You Really Hard for Money segment of the President's Conference. Another same seg- uh, type of thing from uh, Jay John. And then Louis Giglio, who is also one of the speakers at this year's President's Conference, engaging in Bible twisting in order to fleece people and manipulate them in order to lift money out of their pocket by uh, uh, teaching them false doctrine and really pushing the screws down hard on them. That's what we're going to be doing. Sometime in there we'll take a break, but here's sample number one of the uh, presence fleecing that took place recently in Australia Here's uh, they're going to be introducing Sam Rodriguez. Here we go. Welcome, Sam Rodriguez, again as he shares this encouraging word. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> so, just real quick, anyone who was pushing the plow but is now carrying the mantle, raise one hand. <laughs> were you pushing your plow, but now you're carrying a mantle? Ah, oh, wow, that's amazing. I'm glad we were able to leave our plows there at the President's Conference and exchange them for mantles. If you're committed to changing the world around you with the mantle that you're carrying, raise both hands. Yeah, good luck with that. you you got a faux mantle thing going on there. If you're willing to do it in, in front of adversity and conference, if you're willing to do it about compromise, raise both hands to the foot. And if you're willing to do it with love and joy and peace and praise, give God the best praise you've given him in this entire conference. Quickly, quickly, just real quick, and it's going to be in this accelerated Hispanic manner, so here it goes. Numero uno, giving is an act of love, John 3.16. Two, giving is an act of faith. Whoa, whoa, whoa. giving is an act of love, John 3.16. When did John 3.16 become a, a financial giving pas- uh, passage? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Weird. It's not about giving money now, is it? Mark chapter 12. Number three, giving is a prophetic act. Luke 6.38, given it shall be given back to you. Number four, giving... What? Act of obedience. Number five, giving is an act of worship. The full- if you're being obedient to God, you would never financially support a false teacher like Phil Pringle. Malachi 3, number 5, giving is an act of worship, 2 Corinthians 9. God blesses the... If giving is an act of worship, you would never worship God by supporting those who twist God's word, like Phil Pringle. ...giver. So whatever you give to God, he will bless it, break it, multiply it, or radically change it. You can't give to God by giving to his enemies and those who speak doctrines of devils. For certain, it will not stay the same. Supportive verse... John, John chapter 6, verse 8 and 9, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Yeah, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is not a tithing text. Breathe. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. And that's the message. The first thing is you give it. Look at your neighbor and tell him, give it. 
Because when you give God what you have, when you serve God with what you have, he will take care of what you need. Yeah, notice the emphasis is on the kid who had his sack lunch. Apparently, you're the kid with the sack lunch. And Jesus, I mean, you know, you got to give. Right. You got to give, you know, and because that was a tithe, apparently. And God does not chose or select those that have it all. He he blesses those that are willing to surrender it all. So it's uh, right. Yeah. See, God. So apparently that kid surrendered everything he had. Right. But I love this part. Here's, here's what God's spirit placed in my heart, even for this time together. Yeah, that's a manipulation phrase. This is what God told me in my spirit or placed in my heart. Oh, I'm claiming direct revelation from God. This is this is hot off the, the prophetic presses, folks. After they gave it, I love this, and Jesus said, sit them down. The moment you give, God will sit you down. Don't bench me, coach. Come on. I just gave you something, man. You, you're going to sit me down? <laughs> this is not an exegesis of the feeding of the 5,000. This is twisting the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in order to manipulate people to give money to Phil Pringle. Wow. And when God sits you down, it's not to punish you or place you on heaven's timeout. When God sits you down, it's to feed you, to provide your needs, and show you what you have never seen before. So let me speak prophetically to every single person here. Yeah, you're not capable of doing that. Or watching online who really feels like life or something sat you down. If you feel like... Yeah, if you feel like you got sat down, well, it's because, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, you know, Jesus said, have the people sit down. So there you go. See, because Jesus, that's the technique, the, you know, the principle, the pattern for how Jesus is going to feed you. Not. Nothing is happening. You're sat down. To every person who feels like life or heaven sat you down, let me prophesy to you. In the name of Jesus, in Christ, you're not being punished. You're, you are about to see what you have never seen before. In the matter of fact, he took it, meaning Jesus, and he took five and two, he blessed it, he broke it, and multiplied it. That's what God does with what you give him. He will bless it, he will break it, or he will multiply it. Yeah, again, um, yeah, the feeding of the 5,000, it's in all four of the Gospels. It's not about financially giving. No, it's about revealing that Jesus Christ is God, uh -huh, that he's the Messiah. He's feeding his children miraculously in the wilderness, the way God fed his children miraculously in the wilderness. It's a sign. And read John 6. The Jews got it. They realized this is the Messiah, and they were trying to make Jesus king by force. This is not about you giving money to Phil Pringle or to your church or anybody. The person who uses the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and turns it into a tithing text or a giving to the church text is twisting God's word. And basically, yeah, they're trying to get into your pocket by teaching things that they ought not to teach. As we know for certain, it will not stay the same. John chapter 6, verse 12. When they had all enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. 
So they gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with the 12 pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Here's the word. You give. God sits you down. He provides. <laughs> you give, then God sits you down. Isn't it weird because there was only one person who gave and God had all the people sit down? We're, it's not like everybody gave and then God sat. It's, this doesn't even make any sense exegetically. Samuel Rodriguez here is utterly clueless about what this passage is about. He's winging it in order to, well, bring in the dough. Fights for you. He breaks it. He multiplies it. He blesses it. He will demonstrate to you. He will show you what you have never seen before. You give. He sits you down. He blesses it. He breaks it. He multiplies it. He shows you what you've never seen before. And then you step into a season of overflow. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, no, this isn't... Seriously, again, the feeding of the 5,000 is not teaching that you're going to step into a season of overflow after you've done being sat down. That's ridiculous. Absolutely absurd. Overflow. So get ready to go from sit down to overflow and it begins with giving you give what you have what you have it was small in quantity and in its very nature the word small appears twice in the narrative it may seem de minimis to you but do not despise small beginnings give god what you have he will bless it he will break it he will multiply it. Notice the manipulative music playing in the background the whole time. This is about uh, motivating people to write large checks to Phil Pringle. You will see what you have never seen before. He'll sit you down, but then you will experience nothing less than overflow. If you are. Yeah, again, the feeding of the 5,000 does not promise you overflow in your life. Ready to go from sit down to overflow, raise one hand. If you need to go from sit down to overflow, raise both hands. If you believe that by the time you get home via this act of obedience and giving, you will experience nothing less than overflow. You Yes, through this act of obedience. Actually, writing, seriously, based upon the Bible twisting that we've been hearing, just samples of it, including this, if you give money to Phil Pringle, it's not an act of obedience. It is an act of defiance and disobedience and lawlessness against Christ. Have so much, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, that you will be able to share with others around you that are in need. So you're about to go from lack to overflow via the conduit of prophetic giving. If you believe that and receive it, give God one more shout of praise. If you believe that, then, you know, you literally are just absolutely naive and easily deceived. That's the best way I can put it. I mean, just absolutely bizarre. All right, we're going to take our first break, and uh, we're going to continue with examples of, of prophetic fleecing, if you would, uh, at the Presence Conference recently concluded. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Fire Christian. Quick break when we come back. More from the Presence Conference as well as Craig Rochelle preaching at Joel Osteen's building. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. 
You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Men, this egregious foe has been plaguing the seas for long enough. To arms! Man the battle stations and hoist the colors! Aye, aye, sir. Man the battle stations and hoist the colors! Man drummer and man battle station. Aye, aye, sir. You heard the man. Get to work. Come on, let's keep going. The enemy's not going to wait for us. Put your back to your legs. Come on, get those spiders. Get them weird out. No warning and no play. Come on, let's get go. Go, go, go. Captain, sir, they're turning to meet us. With this clear weather, we couldn't have had the element of surprise. Well, no matter. We have the wind on our side and our men are ready. We should be pulling up alongside them any minute now. Give me a status report! Sir, the enemy ship has us outgunned by at least three to one. The gunner's mates are reporting that we're running low on gunpowder and half the crew is suffering from Montezuma's revenge. Never fear, my good man, for it says that with God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. If you say so, Captain Furnick. They're now within firing range, Captain. Mr. Smithers, send them a... Hang on, let me do this myself. Send them a warning shot off of their port bow. Fire the cannons, I sir! That was merely a warning shot, Captain. They could have very well have hit us. I think they wished for us to surrender to avoid bloodshed. Nonsense! You think we would surrender in an hour of triumph? God has clearly stated that no weapon formed against you will prosper. We can't lose. Let loose the cannons. But but we're not within violence. If I wanted your opinion, I'd have given it to you. I say, fire! I've never seen a warning shot where they used all their cannons before. 
The blasted fool shot before he was in range. I can only assume that he means to not surrender. Quickly fire a barrage into the port side while they reload. Aye, aye, sir. Fire the cannons! God on my side. He said this to me, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Why Why aren't we firing our cannons? We've now lost half our cannons due to the last attack. Come on, men. We can't lose. Aye, aye, sir. Are they even trying anymore? By all accounts, I believe they are. Let's pull up alongside and see if we can't reason with them. It would be bad form to slaughter them without mercy. Hello, over there! Go away! We have nothing to say to you! I wanted to negotiate the terms of your surrender. My surrender? It is you who will be surrendering to us. What on earth is he talking about, Captain? Maybe he's suffering from malnutrition and heat stroke? No, I, I think he's serious. Now look here. You're outgunned with no way of winning. We wish to show you mercy. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Why is he quoting the Bible? No, a quote would require a context. What he's done is called proof texting. Enough talk, men. Ready? Aim. What was that? I couldn't hear you over the sound of your mass being demolished. But, but, uh, no! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, would you look at that? Your rudder is gone, too. <clears throat> It'll be a little difficult for you to sail without it, don't you think? I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Is it me? Or is your ship now sinking? Nah, maybe it is me. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If it's all the same to you, I think we've lost this fight. I'm surrendering. Geronimo! Satan's with you. I can't take another minute with this lunatic. Stop it! Stop it right now! All of you come back. We, we, we can't lose. We have... God on our side! We shall prevail! We will... Well, that was surprisingly easy! Makes me wonder how they were even viewed as a threat in the first place. Most inept sailors to ever sail the seven seas. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, 
I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, if you've been taught that the feeding of the 5,000 is a tithing text, you've been deceived badly. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend, truly depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. You can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. Well, an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable too. Fighting for the Faith, and uh, and send that off to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we're still uh, you know, kind of under the money-grubbing uh, head, you know, uh, umbrella, if you would. Next up from the recently concluded Presence Conference, and by the end of this, you're going to go, how many of these guys did uh, Phil Pringle use to try to manipulate people to give money? Oh, (laughs) every one of the speakers was called upon to fleece the flock for Phil Pringle. Here is the Anglican uh, Jay John to uh, take another crack at the people, see if he can squeeze more money out of them by use of humor, of course. Uh, Here's uh, Jay John. From England, who's going to lead us in our giving. Thank you. Good evening. Mr. Wonderful Pianist, you can have a little rest. 
Yeah, no, no musical manipulation. We're, we'll just engage in hum- humorous uh, manipulation. Yeah. Probably the most reluctant offering speaker here. I was emailed by the organizers uh, and told four weeks ago that they would like me to do one of the offerings. And I said, absolutely no. I'm not interested, and I'm not going to do it. And, uh, and then when I got here, there was a bit of pressure. Yeah, I'm sure there was. And uh, I woke up 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I couldn't get it out of my head. And I said, oh, all right, Lord. And, uh, oh, yeah, the Lord directly was putting pressure on you to have people give money to Phil Pringle. Don't think so. That's going to help me get a bit of sleep. So listen, this is, this is the sermon on the amount. Okay, now, you see, what you've got to understand is, I'm an Anglican-flavoured Christian. Okay, Anglican-flavoured Christians, they squeeze the pound coin so tightly, they make the queen cry. Three years ago, my wife Killy and I, we came to the Presence Conference. And uh, you've got to remember, in the Anglican Church, they they just pass a little plate. They don't have any expectation that anyone's going to give anything. I mean, the little plate, you can't flip and get anything on it. Right? So we came here three years ago, first meeting, speaker collection. Whoa! You know, so we gave. Next meeting, there's another one. We didn't know that. So we gave a bit more. You can't look like you're not giving. Third meeting, there's another one. Fourth meeting, how many of these do they do? Yeah, that's quite telling, don't you think? Yeah, how many do they do? Anyway, we gave and gave and gave and gave. Anyway... Two years ago, we came back to the conference. So my wife and I prayed about it, thought about it, said, Lord, show us how much money we should give. And we knew what we should give. And we gave it all at the first collection. (laughs) Big mistake. (laughs) We thought we were doing good. Second collection. The speaker was so inspiring. We had to give a little bit more. Third speaker, a little bit more. And it's like, Lord, we gave a whole load at the first one. What are you doing to us? That's not God doing that to you. That would be the manipulation of Phil Pringle and the gang. Anyway, the Friday night, I was asked by Pastor Phil to do the offering. And I thought, oh, great, because I'm not going to get convicted by my own message. He didn't tell me that there were all going to be these incredible testimonies about all the people that C3 help, all these needy people. And I was like sitting there crying about all these amazing people and I want to help these people. This was before I got up to do the the offering. So then we gave a whole load more that night. 
And then I sat down after that offering. I sat down and I was really like proud of myself. You know, like, hey, Lord. Did good. I did good. Gave a lot. A lot more than what my wife and I had agreed. We've done good. Hope you're proud of me. And then there was a a quiet moment. And I heard the whisper of the Lord. No, actually, you did not. God would not whisper for you to give money to a false teacher like Phil Pringle. Do you think I'm happy with what you've kept back? Really, God said that to you? You think I'm happy with what you kept back? Wow. Wow, pack your bags. We're now going on a guilt trip. This comedy routine has just turned seriously dark. So I'd like to ask you that question this evening. Do not be proud about what you've given. Is the Lord happy with what you've kept? Yeah, God would want me to keep every penny when it comes to a Phil Pringle event and not give him a single dime. That's what God would have me do because Phil Pringle is a false teacher. Back. It's all his anyway. Jesus in the Gerasenes meets a man who's foaming from the mouth. He's got demons in him. He casts out the demons into 2,000 pigs. They run down a hill into a lake. They drown, die. I have a researcher. I said to my researcher, find out for me how much 2,000 pigs would cost if we bought them today. So he contacts the agricultural board, gets the message back. 2,000 pigs would cost, in England, £120,000. Jesus sacrificed 2,000 pigs to help one man. In other words, one man was worth more than 2,000 pigs. In other words, one man was worth more than the local economy. No, that couldn't have been more than the local economy because that was just one part of the local economy. How much is a person worth? How much are we willing to invest in order to reach lost People. Yeah, and I don't want people who are lost to be reached with false doctrine and Bible twisting like we're hearing in droves there at the uh, Presence Conference. Why on earth would I financially support something like that? It's not just what we give. What about what we've got left? And I, I just feel that that question that the Lord gave to me two years ago, it's, it's in my ear again. What about what you've got left? Do you think I'm happy with what you've kept behind? Yeah, so speaking for God, is God happy with what you kept back from Phil Pringle? Hmm, yeah. So, I'm just going to ask you. What do you think the Lord thinks about what you've got? I think some of us tonight, we're going to give $12. Some of us are going to give $120. Some of us are going to give $1,200. Some of us are going to give $12,000. Because for some of us who give $12,000, it's like 
another person giving $12. Some of us here tonight, we're going to give $120,000. What? Wow. And I think that there are two people here that the Lord has just whispered. Two people there that God is whispering to. I don't think so. I'd like to, you to give $1.2 million. What? Why? I can't believe how cheap it is to come to this conference. My wife and I went to a secular conference in London on human trafficking. It cost £800. It was rubbish. <laughs> I wouldn't have gone, but I got given the tickets. <laughs> this is amazing. What we give is going to cover the cost of the entire conference, but it's not just that. It's the rest is to invest in reaching lost people. Yeah, with false doctrine and false prophecies and, and Bible twisting. That ain't reaching the lost. That's what it's about. And so I feel... Yeah, I feel like you, they want to reach lost people so that they can increase their bottom line. You know, they got to expand their market share, you know, and it, believers are not just, they aren't pulling in enough money for them. So we need to, uh, we need to, you know, fleece the non-believers too. Honored that Pastor Phil wants me, wanted me to do this tonight. So an Anglican flavored Christian is saying to you guys, ask God what to release. Lord, I ask that for myself. We're only guardians of what you've given to us. So Lord, show us what we need to release that's already yours. Re wow, this is manipulation like you wouldn't believe. And it doesn't stop there. Yeah, Louis Giglio was one of the featured speakers, and he had his crack at fleecing the flock there at the Presence Conference. And watch how he twists God's word. It's unbelievable. Here we go. So I want you to prepare to give with me tonight. Last night, two people gave $1.2 million. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, so two people fell for it. Believe that that was actually God talking to him when it wasn't. According to J. John, I haven't gotten verification yet, but awesome is what I say to that. And then I thought, well, why am I doing the giving tonight? Because God doesn't want you to miss out. And if ten God doesn't want them to miss out, miss out on the floss, the, the, you know, the, the fleecing of the flock. What are you talking about? People stepped up tonight and said, I can give a million dollars to the kingdom cause of God tonight. Yeah, if you gave a million dollars to Phil Pringle, it would not advance Christ's kingdom. It wouldn't mean that I would say, well, I'm good. Because I want to have the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing. In this Why would God have anything to do with those who are twisting his word and are false teachers and false prophets? World, When Jesus got ready to do his greatest work on earth he entered into jerusalem matthew 
27 says it this way. All right, now watch this Bible twisting. Matthew 27, Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. Apparently we're dealing with a giving text. I had no idea, but let's see what he does. It's going to come up on the screen. I would open my Bible and put on my glasses and read it, but I can't do that with one hand, so I'm going to read it from the screen. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Can we just back up and hold on that for a moment? Can we read that last little sentence together? Untie them and bring them to me. Can we read that together? Untie them and bring them to me. That's what we're going to do right now. You're going to untie a donkey? What are you talking about? We're going to untie all our stuff. And we're What? Just so you know, the donkey didn't belong to Jesus or the disciples. What are you talking about? Bring it to God. The scripture goes on to say, if anyone says anything to you, and somebody's going to say something to you when you start untying your stuff and bring it to God. They're going to start saying stuff when I start untying. What are you talking about? This is a total twisting of God's word. Your, your husband, your wife, you can have one of those conversations. No, honey, I'm not sure. Are you sure? I No, I'm sure. No, you can't be sure. Let's pray again. Your neighbor, your son, your friend, the enemy, yourself. Somebody's going to start talking to you. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. What we're going to do right now and when we give in church, I I love giving in church, by the way. I'm old school because I'm old. And I know how to operate technology. We have Wi-Fi at the house. But I still have a checkbook only really for church. So you can give online at church. I know. But you can't put something in the bucket every time online. And I like to give every single time there's an opportunity. That's not because I'm a hero. It's just because what we're about to do right now is absurd. It's the most absurd thing that happens on earth when we give. I'll tell you why out of this simple story. Number one, because God already owns it all. That's why what we're about to do is absurd. Why am I even standing here? Yeah, what's absurd is that you would twist the text of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and make it about giving money to Phil Pringle. God owns it all. Why do we even need to be encouraged if God owns it all? Why did God say, may I borrow your donkey and your colt when he owned it all? Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and everything in it is the Lord's. He already owns the donkeys and the colts. And when God asks you or me to borrow something, that's absurd. But he does. He could have done something cooler. He could have created a donkey and a colt and said, hey, guys, watch this. I'm going to create a donkey and a colt. Bam. And then I'm going to ride on it into Jerusalem. But he said, no, I'm going to borrow a donkey and a colt. He borrowed a tomb. He borrowed a little boy's lunch. He borrowed a boat a couple of times. He's a borrower, God is. Second reason why it's absurd what we're going to do is because somehow God has chosen to ride into cities on the generosity of ordinary people. 
God wants to ride into your city, into my city, into the cities. He could ride in on clouds. He could ride in in a Learjet. He could ride in. Yeah, what exactly is um, uh, Phil Pringle driving nowadays? I'd like to know. On a host of angels, but he rides in on the generosity of ordinary people. A third reason why it's absurd is because God is giving us the opportunity tonight to be written into the story of God. A donkey owner is in the eternal. Oh, I see. Yeah, you want to be written into the story of God, you, you know, you got to untie your donkey. Uh-huh, right. Of God, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the story of the donkey God, it will stand forever. Our generosity writes us into the story of God, and our greed writes us out of the story of God. And that yeah, if you you know if you, you'll be written out of the story of God if you're greedy and don't give money to Phil Pringle. Absurd that God is allowing us to loan him what he already owns, and in the pro- yeah, it, giving money to Phil Pringle is not a loan to God. It's basically yeah, handing over your finances. To those who twist God's word and teach doctrines of demons. Yeah, that's just the reality of the situation. Of us saying, yes, Lord, here am I, use me. He writes us in to the eternal story of God. And he wants us in that story. And it could be a simple thing tonight. You don't have to be a diplomat or a duke or a duchess or a doctor or a director or a department head or a dictator or a designer. You could have a donkey and be in the story of God. Why did he ride the donkey? Because the prophet said he would. Yeah, see, I mean, you, uh, all you got to do is just, you know, give money to Phil Pringle and you'll get an honorable mention in the story of God, just like the donkey guy, yeah. Long before it had been declared by God that I would need a donkey on this day and long before it's been declared by God that he would like to borrow what you have in your possession right now so that he can ride into the cities of the world and do the things that only he can do. And the last reason it's absurd, and I hope you're thinking about your giving tonight while we're doing this. Yeah, I'm thinking about never giving to Phil Pringle, especially after seeing God's word twisted in such manipulative ways. It doesn't matter what you thought coming in. It really just matters what God's encouraging you to do right now. Yeah, God's encouraging me to expose your false teaching, Louis Giglio. Man, I thought you were more reputable than this. This is the best part. Because we're all human beings and we're not perfect yet. Here's why giving is absurd. Whatever you give to God, you don't lose. You get back with interest. <laughs> so if you're nervous... About- so do they pay Donkey Guy back with interest? I f- wasn't familiar with the interest payments. I thought usury was uh, forbidden by the Mosaic Covenant. Man, this, I mean, you seriously get the point here. I mean, this is an absolute mess. And unfortunately, we got to move along. But I mean, that that was Louis Giglio, folks, of the Passion Conference. Totally, and, and I apologize for the term, but that guy was whoring for Phil Pringle and twisting God's word in order to do it. That was absolutely beyond the pale. All right, we have a vision casting leader update, and uh, when we play our vision, when we do our vision casting leader update, that requires us to do this.
Los Lobos Ministry Records and their rendition of that uber-relevant vision-casting leader praise song kind of thingy <laughs> based on Foreigner's song, Casting Vision. All right, uh, so what we're going to be listening to is uh, Craig Groeschel. Craig Groeschel of Life Church. It used to be lifechurch.tv. Now it's life.tv. Church, I think I they changed their website address. You know, now that you can get a dot church rather than a dot com, they went ahead and did that. But uh, he recently appeared at Joel Osteen's building. Notice I didn't call it a church. Yeah, at Lakewood, and uh, and this was part of their uh, Go Men's Conference. Was that was the name of it? The Go Men's Conference. And uh, Craig Rochelle, oh, he was all too happy to uh, to you know preach at. Yeah, Joel Osteen's building. And uh, what he said there was like mind-numbingly bizarre is just the best way I could put it. And so what I thought we would do is um, go ahead and play, you know, a little bit of uh, what Craig Craig Rochelle said when he appeared at um, Joel Osteen's building. Yeah, here we go. I am here tonight talking to some great men and I can trace that very decision back, I mean, the, the very result back to a decision that I made to go ahead and start a Bible study. This moment and everything I do in my life, I can trace back to a faith decision even before I knew how to describe faith. Okay. Some of you, you're going to make a decision. God is going to speak to you. He's going to stir you. Something's going to come alive in you, and you're going to decide to go to take the step of faith when it would be easier to stay and play it safe. In fact, some of you, that step could literally change the course of your destiny. In fact, I want to... Now, you can see what he's doing here is talking about trying to convince them to take a faith step toward their destiny. And uh, prior to this point, uh, Craig Rochelle had given his personal testimony, how he 
started a Bible study when he was uh, an unbeliever, and then eventually the Bible, in reading it, caused him to make a faith decision for Jesus, and now he's equating that faith decision that he's made, uh, semi-Pelagianism at best, Pelagianism at worst, uh, to convince these people at uh, Joel Osteen's building to, you know, make some kind of a faith step, faith decision. Mm-hmm. Read to you uh, a man that experienced this in Genesis chapter 12, 1. God called Abraham, he was known as Abram at the time, out of idolatry uh, when he was in Ur of Chaldees, uh, a city devoted to worshiping the moon god, Nanar. It makes me want to say Nanar, Nanar, but I won't do that because I probably shouldn't. Genesis 12, 1 uh, is where I want to start. And this. So notice what he's doing is he's narcissizing uh, Genesis 12. You know, they say, hey, look at, you know, Abraham had to make a faith decision, you know, you got to make a faith decision, you know, to follow God out of your Ur of Chaldees to your promised land kind of thing. This is what the text says. The text says, the Lord had said to Abram, go. Somebody say, go. The Lord had said to Abram, go. The Lord said to Abram, what did he say? The Lord said, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. And God told him to do what? God told him to to go. He told him to leave his country. And this may say sound really obvious, and it is, but to go somewhere else, what do you have to do? You have to leave where you are. And very obvious, but to go somewhere else, you have to leave where you are. Go- right, yeah. Going generally means leaving somewhere. Yeah, that's some profound logic right there. Oh, go. Some people say that doubt, doubt is the opposite of faith. Some people say, yeah, actually, that's what scripture teaches. Say doubt is the enemy of faith. I might say that familiar is often the em- enemy of faith. What? Where are you getting that from the Bible? The familiar. I like it here. I'm comfortable here. Uh, I, th- th- where I am, I'm, I'm, uh, it's known and I know what to do here. I like it where it's familiar. Familiar is often the enemy of faith. So my- Yet nowhere in Genesis 12 does it talk about how Abraham was sitting there going, well, you know, I'm familiar with this place. Yeah, you're like... While reading something into the biblical text, that's called eisegesis. Somebody here needs to recognize this. Someone, God wants to do something in you. To step toward your destiny, you will have to step away from your security. (laughs) Yeah, Genesis 12 does not teach that at all. Yeah, nowhere in Genesis 12 does it talk about, yeah, if you want to step towards your destiny, you got to, yeah, whatever. This is uh, this is not about our destinies unless you're talking eternal destiny. Because in the Old Testament, especially in Genesis, we're following the bloodline of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. This is about God acting in human history to save sinful humanity. This is how the Messiah came to be to us. Yeah, read the opening genealogies in the book of... Um, Matthew, as well as in Luke. Let me say it again. To step toward your destiny, you'll have to step away from your security. Imagine Abram. Well, I like it here. I get my hair cut here. Imagine. Yeah, now we're doing imagine Jesus. Yeah, imagination being read into 
the uh, the biblical text. Favorite restaurant here. I like the cul-de-sac I live on here. And God says, go. When he says go, you have to leave where you are to go where he wants you to go. Verse 2, God... Yeah, God doesn't call us to go. He calls us to repent and believe in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Says this, God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So what did Abram do? Somebody help me. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abram went. What's crazy is God looks at this older man, probably somewhere around the age of 75 or so, and says, I will make you into a great nation. How many of you know that at this point in his life, his plumbing no longer worked like it once did? Yeah, actually, that's not true. If, if you read uh, about Abraham after the death of Sarah, um, he had concubines and uh, fathered children by them. Sounds like, well, uh, he, he didn't have problems with his plumbing. You, uh, y- Yeah, it's that Sarah was beyond the age of childbearing. That's what the scripture says. In fact, that's kind of an important theme in Scripture. One of the major motifs of the Bible is the motif of the barren womb then being filled. Mm -hmm. All of these barren womb motifs point to the virgin birth in a very real way. So, yeah, the problem wasn't with Abraham. Right? I mean, uh, we, we have tried everything we can. We've been to the fertility doctors. We've had our small group pray for us. We tried in the morning. We tried it in the afternoon. We tried in the evening. We tried it upside down, backside, ceiling fan on, ceiling fan off. We've done everything we can think of. Oh, man, this is not good. Yeah, hmm. wrong way of digging into a particular concept here, especially since the concept he gave isn't exactly right. We're not having a baby. We've done everything we can. God looks at a couple that was childless past the age of childbearing and says, you're going to be the father of many nations, okay? If God said that to me, I've got six kids, I've got a running start, right? I mean, got a running start. People always say, six kids, do you know what causes that? I always say we do, and we are unwilling to give it up. And all the men said, amen, amen. The truth is, the reason we have so many kids is my wife will not leave me alone (laughs) all right tmi and uh, this is what is this it's old you know how they are guys all they think about is one thing it's only thing on their mind all the time women all they want you want you want you i always tell her look i'm not a piece of meat i'm a person i have a soul i have a heart i beg her i beg her can we please just cuddle tonight i just want to hold you but no they gotta do the thing so yeah, weird. When I read the sermons of the church fathers, they never spoke like this. Um, the sermons of Charles Spurgeon, he never spoke like this. I could, I have a hard time picturing, you know, well-known biblical exegetes. You know, like uh, Phil Johnson, John MacArthur. You could talk about, you know, William Swirla, uh, Jonathan Fisk, uh, Brian Wolfmuller. I've never heard guys preach like this. <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face. <laughs> God says, go, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. God says, go, you're childless, and God says, go, go, go. Abram's like, uh, there's no details. I want details. Sometimes I believe God might say you can't handle the details. 
nowhere in Genesis does Abraham say, wait a second, I don't have details, I need details. Notice he keeps adding things to the biblical text that are not there. That's called eisegesis, like I've said. By the way, eisegesis, you know, the Greek word ice means into. So it, eisegesis is reading something into the biblical text that's not there. Uh, we as pastors are called to be exegetes. We are to read out what's in the biblical text, not add stuff to it. If I told you everything you were going to endure, you might not go. You've got to have faith. You've got to have faith. You've got to. Have- yeah, I, I will again resist all urges to fall to the temptation of having a gratuitous fighting for the faith musical interlude, and end up playing George Michael's. I have. I, you got to have faith. I. Yeah, no, that would not be good. Have faith to believe God. You got to have faith. God's going to stir someone here to do something, and you're going to want to know more. But how? How? Really? Why would God stir somebody at Joe Osteen's building to do something? What they're what they're not hearing God's word rightly taught. Jesus says when He sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world of sin and unbelief. You're not convicting them of their sin. You're teaching them false doctrine by reading something into the biblical text that ain't there, and then creating the false impression that somehow God's going to put something on their heart for them to do. You know, like, yeah, hey, honey, you know, I just went to the Go conference over there at Lakewood. And I've decided that I'm going to become a platform diver. And I'm going to follow after my Olympic dreams. Well, honey, you need to lose like 100 pounds. I mean, you jump off a platform, the only thing you're going to be able to do is do a cannonball. I mean, what are you talking about? Well, God laid it on my heart because he said he was going to, you know, and he didn't give me the details, you know, because that's what Craig Groeschel told me. Yeah, no, it doesn't work this way. We're going to pay for this, and, and how's it going to happen, and who's going to be there, and where are we going to start, and, and, and how are we going to get it moving? And God says, I'm not going to give you the details. You have to- Yeah, God didn't say that. To have a step of faith before you see the rest. God's word is a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. Yeah, but the thing is, you've extinguished that light by adding things to the biblical text that are not there, and then preaching on those things that you added as if that's the word of God when it isn't. There's no light here, Craig. There's nothing but darkness in the sermon. If his word is a lamp unto my feet, then I might be able to see two or three steps. I want to see four, five, and six before I do one, two, and three. God says, no, you got to do one, two, and three before I show you four, five, and six. Yeah, God didn't say that. You said that. Wow. you got to take the first step of faith before I show you everything else. God says go before he had it figured out. While there was no way possible in, in Abram's mind he could ever be the father of many nations, God says go. God- yeah, nar- narcissistic eisegesis, imagination Jesus. I mean, all kinds of eisegesis going on here. And he's notice he's speaking for God from the stuff he added to the biblical text. That's quite the trick. You know, it just makes me wonder. I mean, is there something in the water there at Lakewood that causes people to be incapable of rightly handling a biblical text while they're preaching there? Yeah, I think you kind of get the point. Uh, you know, so uh, Lou Giglio, well, yeah, he um, bit the dust. I mean, totally sold out. Craig Rochelle totally sells out and is scratching, itching ears at the, at the itching ears, scratching capital of the world. 
yeah, we've got a problem here. And the problem is that we have pastors running around the landscape, you know, posing as pastors when they're not actually doing the thing that God's word calls every pastor to do. And that's to preach the word, show themselves as one who can rightly handle the biblical text. And um, yeah, not a lot of that going on anymore, especially in all the major big venues that are put out there as the premier venues within evangelicalism. You get the point. All right, we're going to take our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break in the next sermon review from... Uh, Robert Morris, I'm going to prove that uh, John 10 does not teach that you have to hear God's voice directly in order to be one of Jesus' sheep. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. Sissiopified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... <laughs> Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review time. Yep. Like I said, I'm going to definitively prove that John 10, where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, Jesus is not saying that unless you hear him directly, you know, whispers in your heart, direct revelation, that that means you're not one of Christ's sheep. But we're going to do that in the context of a sermon where Robert Morris is literally going to make a claim 
just like that. But we got to do this right. Hang on. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's uh, sermon comes to us via Gateway Church. Um, Robert Morris presiding, the vision casting leader there. Name of the sermon is I'm a Sheep. We're going to hear him twist, and I mean this, absolutely twist John chapter 10. And the way he's going to do it is by ignoring other passages of Scripture. So when you get to a passage that's a little bit vague in Scripture, you're going to need to find other passages of Scripture that are clear in order to rightly interpret it. This is the concept in hermeneutics known as Scripture interprets Scripture. Clear passages always govern unclear. And so we're going to apply sound hermeneutics to this sermon and definitively debunk this idea that somehow if you're not getting direct revelation from Jesus in your heart, that that means you're not one of Christ's sheep. So let me go ahead and back off on the music, and we will get right into the sermon review. Here is Robert Morris, and I am a sheep. Turn to John chapter 10. You're absolutely going to love this series, John chapter 10, and we're going to talk about hearing God. Um, While you're turning... I want to begin to introduce this first message to you, and I want you to think about what is the main difference between a believer in Jesus Christ and a non-believer? What's the the main difference? And let let me... All right, now, so so he's going to start off by asking a question. What's the main difference between a, a believer and an unbeliever? Well, I would argue, based on Scripture that an unbeliever is one who is still dead in trespasses and sins. And I would argue this based upon Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And uh, let me let me go ahead and pull that up and read it so that you can kind of see what I'm saying here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says this. It says, And you, you, uh, you Christians in Ephesus, whom Paul was writing to, You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So if you want to talk about the main difference between a believer and an unbeliever, An unbeliever is unregenerate. They are still dead in trespasses and sins. A believer is no longer dead in trespasses and sins. And Paul then goes on in Ephesians 2 to say that that, uh, they have been raised by God. They have been made alive. And so, and John chapter 3, the the end of John chapter 3 makes a very important statement. Here's what it says, John chapter 3, verse 36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So the primary difference between a believer and an unbeliever, well, an unbeliever is dead in trespasses and sins. A believer is alive in Christ, has been made alive by God, and has been given the gift of faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, and they have currently eternal life. Eternal life has already begun, and eternal life begins here and now, and then is continued 
on in the next age. But you kind of get the idea there. So I'm going to I'm going to answer his question based upon two primary texts, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and also John chapter 3, verse 36. So there's my answer to the question. What's the primary difference? But watch what Robert Morris is going to do. He's going to literally make the claim that, well, the difference between an unbeliever and a believer is something different than what I just said. And watch what he says. Let me give you the answer. It is that a believer has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, everybody, believer or unbeliever, has a relationship with Jesus. The question is whether that relationship is good or bad, hostile and under the wrath of God, which is what I talked about in, actually, Scripture talks about it in the text that I gave in in Ephesians 2, 3, you know, that they are by nature objects of God's wrath. They have a relationship with God. It's just not a good one. And then John 3, you know, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Again, they have a relationship with Jesus. It's not a good one. So notice what he's doing. He's appealing to the evangelical doctrine known as the personal relationship with Jesus doctrine. But the problem is, is that Scripture doesn't talk this way. And so this is an evangelical doctrine that's be, that has now teetered into a man-made theology. And, uh, and so this is a core doctrine that every evangelical knows the shorthand for. The problem is, is that the way they're discussing it, they're not discussing it biblically. Is that right? That would be the, probably the major difference. An unbeliever does not have a relationship with Jesus. A believer in Jesus has a personal relationship with Jesus. Okay. It's hard for me to believe that that personal relationship does not include communication. Okay, now let me explain what he did there, all right? So the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is a believer has a personal relationship, and it's hard for me to believe that uh, if he has a personal relationship that that, that that does not involve communication. This, by the way, has now slipped. This is not a biblical argument. This is philosophy. This is speculation. Well, this is something like a logical premise or a you know, syllogism set up here. Well, if the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is a quote-unquote personal relationship with Jesus, do you know of any relationships that don't involve communication? Well, of course you don't. Therefore, it, ergo, if you have a personal relationship, that means that Jesus is going to speak to you personally you know, via direct revelation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have, we're not even in a biblical text yet. He said, turn to John chapter 10, but he's not actually teaching anything from John chapter 10. So far, everything he's taught is based upon, well, what he thinks is reasonable, what he thinks is logical, what he thinks actually logically follows. You have a personal relationship, therefore re- uh, communication must directly follow. Now, I will say, absolutely. Jesus speaks to us. However, and I'm and I'm going to put this little caveat in here. Jesus also explicitly says how he's going to communicate to us and it's not in the way that Robert Morris is saying from this text. We continue. And yet there are uh, entire persuasions of theological thought that God doesn't speak anymore. And that to me is crazy to think that way, that he spoke for 4,000 years, and we have record of him speaking to 
person after person after person. Yeah, but read your Bible and you see, and you will discover that God speaking directly to people is rare. And there's often long periods of time where you between communication and revelation from God to the next time that he speaks. So He's not even rightly describing what's going on in the Bible. He makes it sound like, well, you know, everybody who lived in Bible times, God was like, you know, on the phone with them constantly. You know, it's like they had a cell phone in their pocket and, oh, God's calling. I got to I gotta take that. Yeah, no, that's not how it went down. Read your Bible and you'll see God spoke to very few people. You know, I mean that, very few. Uh, over the 1,500 years that it t- of Revelation that uh, takes place, uh, regarding what we have in the scriptures, uh huh. How many people was God talking to? How many biblical authors are there? Right. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then all of a sudden, after the first century, uh, he just got laryngitis. I, I, well, that's a characterization on your part. No, Jesus doesn't have laryngitis. Jesus instead instead makes it very clear how he's going to communicate to us. And I, and I mean that. Again, Scripture interprets Scripture. Unclear passages must be governed by clear passages. Or he's just bursting up there because he hasn't talked to humans in not over 1,900 years. It's, it's just crazy. No, what's crazy here is that you're putting your thoughts and your ideas and your speculations and what you think is reasonable and logical out there as if it is a Christian doctrine that then is what we should be believing as Christians. To think that way. So the difference is that we have a personal relationship with Jesus. So let me take that just a step further. If you are praying about a new job and an unbeliever is praying or thinking about, I should say that way, a new job, is there any difference in the way these two people are going to approach the situation. Of course there is. Because the unbeliever gathers facts and tries to make the best decision he can, but the believer gathers facts and asks God what his will is. And God can lead you. And wouldn't you rather make decisions? Yeah, but see, the thing is, is that God's will, yeah, you see, you got to keep in mind, God has put certain things under our will. No joke. I mean, you sit there, you know, so many people think, well, you know, I got to find the right, the single person that God wills for me to marry. No, no, no. God in his word makes it clear who you should marry and who you shouldn't marry. It, it's it, The Bible is a compass for making those decisions. So go and make a good decision based upon what God has revealed for whom he would have you marry. Y- yeah, no, this is, again, he's not, engaging in any kind of biblical teaching yet based on God's knowledge (laughs) than on yours because God knows if the company interviewing you is going to go out of business in a year yeah this kind of sounds like he's turning God into the kind of guy who you can go and get a psychic reading from yeah that's a problem God does not provide our daily horoscopes God knows if it's going to be relocated to Fairbanks Alaska and nothing against Fairbanks, Alaska, if you're watching from Fairbanks. <clears throat> but God knows. But if you have a, a thought that God doesn't speak anymore, I really don't mean this condescending. I mean it the way I'm saying it. 
I feel so sorry for you. Yeah, and what's weird here is that um, I feel sorry for you, Robert Morris, and the reason I do is because Jesus has made it very clear how he speaks to us. Jesus, in very explicit ways, says how he's going to talk to us. So God is absolutely still speaking, 100%. But the thing is, he's already made it clear the means by which he's going to communicate to us. We'll get to that. That you have a personal relationship with someone who never speaks to you. All logic and speculation and philosophy, not biblical doctrine. Notice, everything he said so far is outside of Scripture, based upon, well, what he considers to be reasonable, based upon, well, man-made doctrine, not biblical texts. I don't know how personal that is. So God speaks, and we'll cover that in the series, but I want to show you some things about God, and we'll just kind of, we'll just build on the thought every week, all right? It's going to be a seven-week series, by the way. Um, let me make this statement to start the, the series. Hearing God is not something you do. It's someone you are. And if you don't understand... Yeah, that's great that you would start off with a statement like that, but you're not actually exegeting a biblical text. Which biblical text says this? This is just your idea, and your ideas do not rise to the level of Christian doctrine. Pastors are explicitly ordered in Scripture to preach the Word. You are not. You are preaching your thoughts. Big difference. And that, you may not understand the concept of hearing God. So it's not something you do. It's someone you are. So here's the title of the first message, and it's, I granted, granted it's a little different, but the title is, I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. I, as a matter of fact, I, I just, all the campuses and all the affiliate churches, j- just say that out loud. Say, I, to watch you turn to the person beside you and say, I'm a sheep. Now you could turn to the person who said it to you and say, so that's what I smell. Okay. <laughs> Okay, John chapter 10, Jesus is contrasting himself as the good shepherd with the thief, the robber, who is Satan. All right. No, actually, if you would read this in context, and the context of this passage begins at John chapter 9, verse 1. Yeah, the two go together, and no, Jesus is not saying the thief comes to, skill, uh, to steal, kill, and destroy in reference to Satan. Nope. Jesus instead, the the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, those are false teachers, the Pharisees in this particular instance, but it applies to all false teachers who hop the fence. Okay, so yeah, we've got a problem here. He's not paying attention to the context of this passage, and as a result of it, he's already making really silly errors showing he hasn't done his homework and he's not familiar with what this text really says. So John chapter 10, look at verse 1. We're talking about we're sheep and we can hear God. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Talking about false teachers. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens. Now watch this carefully. And the sheep, watch 
hear his voice. Can can you just say those three words? Hear his voice. It does not say sense his impressions. Okay, yes, it does say hear his voice. Now, the question before us is, is Jesus here meaning that we are going to receive direct revelation and hear God's voice directly. You know, walking down the street and all of a sudden Jesus says to you, hey, you, I, I, got, I got some dream destiny thingy I need to reveal to you. Uh, okay, Jesus, I'll see if I can make some time for you. Hang on a second. Let me grab a pen and paper or maybe let, let me open the notes app in my phone and uh, I'll take this down. No, see, is that what Jesus is promising? Is that what he's saying? Now, the reason I'm asking is because, well, it's true that we're going to hear his voice. Absolutely clear. But is this via direct revelation or via another means? The text is not clear on that. We continue. And I'm not saying that God doesn't give us impressions. I just simply am literally blown away. And and when I say that, again, I'm not saying it condescendingly because I used to be of the theological persuasion that believed that God didn't speak anymore. And I'm shocked that I could have ever believed that, that he's just, just has chosen not to speak anymore since he wrote us a letter. And we have his word, but now he doesn't communicate personally to his children. I'm just shocked that I could have ever thought that way. Hear his voice. That's the Bible. His sheep hear his voice. And he calls, so the way you call is your voice, his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep... By the way, this is a parable. Yeah, that's right. This is a parable here. John 10, 1 through 5 is a parable. How do I know? Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay, so Jesus is using a metaphor, an analogy. He's speaking in a parable. He's using a figure of speech. So notice what's happening here is that Robert Morris is taking this figure of speech. Look at verse 6, figure of speech. Um, And he is interpreting it literally. That would be like taking the parable of the talents and saying, well, Jesus is going to give me a hundred pounds of gold because God, you know, or maybe, maybe 300 pounds of gold because a talent is a hundred pounds, right? So, and here we've got this, this story of the parable of the talents. You know, one guy received 10 talents, another guy three, another guy one, right? Yeah. Uh huh. And so, and since we're going to interpret this literally, so we should expect that Jesus could potentially throw into your lap. 100, you know, 10, 100, you know, pounds of gold, you know, yeah, no, that's missing the fact that this is a parable. Okay, so John 10, 1 through 5 is a parable. Truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold uh, by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the keeper opens that you can say the porter here, that's the guy who uh, keeps, tra- you know, basically opens up the pen. You know, back in the day, you know, the way shepherds worked in the ancient world, and I still think there are places that do this. You can, uh, you know, a shepherd can take all of his sheep and mix them up with other sheep from other, uh, from other, you know, flocks, 
and overnight, you know, so to make sure that the wolves don't get them. And then when the porter opens up the gate, what will happen is, is that the shepherd will call out to his sheep. They hear his voice and only his sheep will follow him. That's a that's the that's the figure of speech that Jesus is using here. To him, the, the porter opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Yeah, so Jesus is pulling on something that they would all be familiar with here, the way shepherds work in the uh, ancient uh, in ancient Israel, and that's a figure of speech because verse 6 says, notice he's interpreting it literally. Oh, Jesus is going to call you by name, literally. That's not exactly what's going on here. He follow him for they know what? His voice. And if you, if you have any doubt that this is talking about Jesus, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. So Jesus said, we know it, but just in case you have a doubt, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now look at verse 16, John 10, 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Now look at me just for a moment. We talked last week about to the Jew first. He is now speaking about the Gentiles. He's talking. Now notice what he's doing. He's not actually exegeting the text. He doesn't care about the context. He's just hopscotching through it. Yeah, all right. So we got John 10, 3. Sheep hear his voice. Then we got, uh, you know, then you got uh, you know, John ten eleven. I am the good shepherd. See, you got to hear my voice. And then we hopscotch again to verse 16. He's hopscotching. He's ripping all of this out of context so that he can create the impression this is a biblical doctrine, a biblical teaching, while ignoring the fact that Jesus is using figures of speech. We continue. You know, Jewish people... And he says, and you need to know, there are other sheep I had that are not of this fold. Other sheep. There's not a theologian I've ever met in the world that doesn't know or believe this is talking about Gentiles. So that's most of us. You might be Jewish, but for the rest of us, thank God that he has another, he had another fold. Okay. The Gentiles. Now watch this. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. Watch. And they will, what? Hear my voice. Okay, I can hear God. That's what he's saying specifically. No, that's actually not what he's saying in the way that you're saying it, because you're saying direct revelation. I have a personal relationship. Notice the whole foundation of this doctrine is based upon his ideas and then proof texted by hopscotching through John 10. Now, we're going to use the other principles. Scripture interprets Scripture with the idea that Unclear passages are always governed by clear passages. So here's the question I have for you, and that is, has Jesus explicitly made it clear how we are going to hear his voice? Answer to the question is absolutely. Jesus has made this explicitly clear. I'm going to give you three passages. Luke chapter 10, verse 16, when Jesus sends out the 72. Here's what Jesus says, Luke 10, 16. The one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Mm -hmm. So Jesus has made it very clear how people are going to hear him, 
How are they going to hear him? They are going to hear him through the ones he sends. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now we have cross-references for this. John 13, 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So notice how the chain works. The Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Apostles, and the Apostles are the ones who, Jesus says, the, what you, the one who hears you, hears me. And then we have John 17, 17 through 20, another cross-reference. Sanctify them in the truth. Jesus talking and praying for his disciples. Your word is truth. As you sent me, Father, Jesus is praying to the Father into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Huh? So here, just using a simple, good hermeneutic technique. Clear passages always govern unclear, and Scripture interprets Scripture. Since Jesus is using figures of speech and parable and metaphor in John 10 to make a point, it you know pushing on the metaphor and making it, well, literal, is going to confuse things. So the question is, how has Jesus said he's going to speak to us? Answer, Jesus has explicitly stated in several passages, the ones that I just noted, that we hear Jesus' voice through, well, through the ones he sent. Who did he send? He sent the apostles. And where do we go to find the writings of the apostles? Answer, the written word of God. Uh Uh-huh. In other words, you want to hear the voice of Jesus? You're going to only hear the voice of Jesus through the ones whom he has sent. And that would be his apostles. Again, John, uh, Luke 10, 16, the one who hears you, you apostles, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So Jesus has made it very clear. The Father sends him, he speaks. He speaks, well, what the Father wants him to speak He then deposits that with the apostles. He sends the apostles, and we now hear the voice of Jesus through the apostles. How many books did Jesus write while he was on on earth and during his earthly ministry? Answer, zero. The only uh, uh, allusion we have to Jesus writing is him writing in the sand uh, while the lady caught in the act of adultery was uh, brought before him. Yeah, that's the only time we see Jesus writing, right? So how then do we know what Jesus said, what he did, what he taught? Well, answer, through the ones whom he sent. And he said of them, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. So Jesus is speaking. He is speaking to us through the apostles, the ones whom he sent. Oh, he's speaking, because God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. If God's word is living and not dead, and Jesus is speaking to us through the ones he sent, his apostles, well, then he's still speaking to this day. And this is how you do good biblical doctrine. You look at what the scriptures say 
in its totality on a topic and you let the clear passages govern the unclear. Here, Robert Morris is preaching John 10 while excluding the other passages that clearly teach how Jesus talks to us today. And as a result of it, he's twisting God's word and teaching a false doctrine. And by the way, so you know, many of you listening are sitting there going, well, man, I've never heard Jesus speak to me. I mean, if that's the case, then maybe I'm not one of his sheep. Yeah, that's kind of the other thing here, is, is that by twisting God's word, he's not building faith, he's destroying it. Because now, now the, the real test as to whether or not you're a Christian is not whether or not you believe Christ and have been brought to repentance and trust him for the forgiveness of your sins. Oh, no, no. The true sign of whether or not you're a Christian is whether or not you're hearing the voice of Jesus. If you're not hearing it, you must not have a personal relationship. If you don't have a personal relationship, well, then you're probably an unbeliever. You see how that works? Yeah, this is why false doctrine is so deadly. They will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. He's speaking of Jew and Gentile here, one, one flock. And then verse 27, just to make it really, really clear, John 10, 27, my sheep, say those three words, hear my voice. Yes, they do. And they hear it through the ones whom Jesus sent. Were the ones that Jesus said, the one, the one who hears you hears me, that would be the apostles. And this is why we pay attention to the apostles' doctrine. Yeah, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, you know, people like that. And, and, and I know them, and they follow me. Okay, let me ask you a very simple question. Is Jesus the shepherd? Yep. Okay, are you following him? Oh, yeah, most certainly. So then you're the sheep. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. And what do sheep do? <laughs> they hear his voice through the apostolic writings, the ones whom Jesus sent. Luke ten sixteen makes that clear. They hear his voice. Yeah. This is in red. Oh, yeah, it is. And what I cited is also in red where Jesus explains how we will hear his voice through the ones he sent. (laughs) This is Jesus. Oh, yeah, it is. And you're ignoring the rest of what Jesus taught on this. I don't really care what Dr. Fuzzy Face says. (laughs) I care what this book says. Well, then why are you ignoring the other parts where Jesus explained how he will speak to us through the ones he sent? It's clear my sheep hear my voice. So let me tell you. Yeah, and it's clear the one who hears the apostles hears Jesus. Weird, huh? Yeah, it's all in red. I'll tell you three things about the ability to hear God. All right, here's number one. It's innate. It's innate. In other words... You're born with it. It's inherent. Oh, you're born with it. That's weird. We're born dead in trespasses and sins. It's natural. It's built in. It's instinct. It's hardwired. Uh, says what biblical text in context? If you want to, or you prep, never mind. It didn't work anyway. All right, but that, that's another, another one you can use. It's, it's natural. You're born. He said, my sheep hear my voice. When you're born again, you're born again a child of God. He's the shepherd. You're his sheep. Sheep have the ability to hear the shepherd. Well, yeah, again, you're at this point building logical syllogisms 
off of the one text while ignoring the other passages that make it clear how we hear Jesus' voice through the ones he sent, his apostles. Yeah, we got a problem here. Yeah, So notice, he's just sticking to the one text. He's not engaging in any kind of cross-referencing to build out this theology, just making the one text all by itself, which is unclear because Jesus is speaking in figures of speech, and turning that into, well, a hammer. Well, yeah, now you, you know, well, it's innate. That, that the text doesn't say that. And this is what makes us different. Even though he's comparing us to sheep now, as human beings, we were created in the image of God, and our God is a communicative God. Yeah, so now we're going to pull in the attributes of God to fill out this text while ignoring the other passages where Jesus explicitly states how we will hear his voice through the ones he sent. It's not helping you. Our God is a speaking God. The whole reason that you have the ability to hear and speak is because you were created in the image of a hearing, speaking God. Yeah, it doesn't logically follow there. Why would he create you with the ability to communicate and then not communicate with you? That's weird because he is communicating to us through the ones he sent. The apostles in the New Testament, the prophets in the Old. It's weird. God is still speaking to us right now. Strange, because that's the way uh, the Apostle Paul even talks about uh, the fact that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And the ministry of reconciliation is found in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me, let me read this to you. Uh, from now on then, but 2 Corinthians 5, 16, from now on then we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old has passed away, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal, here it is again, through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And by the way, Paul is one of these guys who Christ sent. He's one of the apostles. So what is he saying? God is making his appeal to you and to me through them, the ones whom Christ has sent. Strange. You just read the rest of Scripture and stop reading text in isolation while ignoring the rest. Then you'll be able to understand what Jesus meant there. That would be a horrible thing to do to you, to create you with the ability to communicate, and he has the ability to communicate, but he just doesn't communicate to you. Yeah, again, you're still engaging in philosophy and logical syllogisms. You're not actually doing biblical exegesis here. That'd be a horrible thing. And again, it's a, it's a horrendous line of thought. It's, it's literally, let me give you the Greek word for it. It's baloney. <laughs> Bologna is how it's pronounced in the Greek. <laughs> yeah, no, what's baloney is uh, you twisting this passage of Scripture. This is what separates us from the animals, that God gave us the ability to communicate our deepest feelings, not only to other humans, but to him. Well, right, yeah, since we're different than the animals, that means that God must communicate to us directly. Yet Jesus said he will speak to us through the ones he sent. And he communicates to us. 
And I know some say, well, animals can communicate. Yes, they can on some level. I understand that. But they can't communicate like we can. They can't. You know, I was was watching the Discovery Channel one time. There's a guy sitting in a room all day listening to whales. He had these earphones on. He was listening to recordings of whales. And then they said to this guy, what's he saying? I'm telling you the truth. I saw something. Here's what the guy said. He's lonely. I thought, no, you're lonely, pal. You you need humorous story, but yeah, it doesn't help us rightly understand John 10, does it? You need to get out of this room and go talk to some people. (laughs) Just do an experiment. If you have a dog, go home and talk to your dog. But, but talk, say, here's what I want you to say. I want you, and I want you to say it like this. You're so stupid. Yes, you are. You're the stupidest dog I ever saw. Yes. And just watch that dog just wag his tail. And just think you paid him the biggest compliment. And then I'm just thinking about animals again. Why do dogs bark at night? Has anyone figured that out? All night. All night. Row, 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 row. And here's what we do. We open the door. Shut up. What do you expect the dog to do? My bad. I've 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 always tried to figure out, what do they say? You know, I'm trapped in the backyard. Help, 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 help. And then the neighbor dog joins in. Help him. Again, humorous story, but it doesn't actually help us understand John 10. I'm sure... They have a level of communication, but they were not created. I'm not trying to put animals down. I know we all love animals, but I'm just telling you, they were not created in the image of God, but you were, and you were created in the image of a speaking God. Well, yeah, of course. That's one of the reasons why we're able to communicate to each other and how I'm able to actually use, you know, uh, the radio to you know communicate to people from across the world yeah you know, and use and you know put it on the internet and things like that so yeah we were made in his image obviously we have high levels of communication that we're able to you know communicate to each other abstract ideas and things like this but again this doesn't actually prove that what Jesus is saying in John 10 is that his sheep hear his voice and by that we mean they will hear him directly no, Jesus says of the apostles, the one who hears you hears me. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that God is making his appeal through them uh-huh, to be reconciled to God. In fact, when we preach the apostolic doctrine 
and we take the words of the apostles, the one Jesus sent into our own mouth, and preach and proclaim that same gospel to other people, God is now making his appeal to other people through us, through us, through them. Yeah, see, Jesus has chosen to speak to us through the ones he has sent, not via direct revelation. And he created you with the ability to hear him because he says very clearly, I am the good shepherd. Yeah, no, no. again, taking the metaphor that Jesus is using, the figure of speech, and it, well, and exegeting it literally, and then saying, because we're created in the image of God, Jesus is saying, you literally here have the ability to get direct revelation from God. When Jesus says that, well, the one whom he sent, they people will believe through them. Mm-hmm. That would be the apostles. And the only place we can go to find the apostles' teaching and doctrine, the ones whom Jesus sent, is in the written word of God. And my Sheep, hear my voice. It's innate. You're born with the ability to hear God. Which is not what John 10 teaches at all. Here's the second thing. It's learned. Now, you might say, well, that's kind of a contrasting thought. You're saying I'm born with it, but you're saying I need to learn how to hear God. Absolutely. And I can give you the greatest example in the world, children. Uh, you're not giving me a biblical text? Notice again, he only hopscotched through John 10, didn't give us the context, didn't exegete it in context. He's hopscotching through John 10, and now he's giving weird supporting evidence, you know, based upon out-of-context passages and, you know, experiences that we all can uh, relate to. Mm Mm-hmm. They're born with the ability to communicate, but they need to be taught. Is that right? They need to be taught words. They need to be taught sounds. They need to be taught grammar and language. They need to be taught what to say, and they need to be taught when to say it. Is that right? They learn in their ability to hear God. You know, if we said, we're going to have a class on prayer, you'd say, that's, that's, I need that. And even the disciples said, teach us to pray. But let me remind you that hearing God is the second half of prayer. Um, says which biblical text? I'm not familiar with that text that says that. Because if you can't hear God, why would you pray? Now, uh, again, that's philosophy. That's speculation. That's what he considers reasonable. He's not actually exegeting any biblical texts for his assertions that he's making right here. Because if you can't hear God, why would you pray? Now, one reason is to make our requests and petitions be known to God. But God never intended prayer to be a giving of our to-do list to him every morning. Yeah, I know that sounds pious and all, but Jesus said, when you pray, say. And then he did not say, and then when you're done doing that part, sit and listen. So again, you know, yeah, taking how Christ taught us to pray and, you know, basically casting aspersions on it and saying, well, that's just giving your to-do list to God. When are you going to sit and listen? Yeah, I'm sorry. This is a false teaching not based on any biblical text. He's making all these assertions without biblical texts. He intended prayer to be communication between a father and his children. 
And if you'll just take some time and start to listen, you'll be amazed. Yeah, when did Jesus say, well, and when you're, when you're through with your part of the prayer, stop and listen? Where in Scripture does it say this? Answer, it doesn't. That he'll speak. But most of us do this. Now, I'm just going to give you an analogy. It's like someone is going to call you on the phone and talking for five minutes or ten minutes and then hanging up before you ever have a chance to say anything. That's the way many Christians pray. Yeah, Jesus taught us to pray that way. Weird. God, I need this, thing, this, thing, this, need this, need this. Got to go. And God's thinking, would you like to hear what I... Yeah, you're sitting there saying, God's thinking, would you like to hear? Where in the Bible does it tell us to listen after we pray? It doesn't. You're making this up. This is based on what you think, not what the scriptures reveal. I have to say about that. I, I, when I say it's learned, uh, I mean, people teach us. People teach us to pray. They teach us how to understand the Bible, how to, I use a big word, exegete the Bible, which simply means to draw out, how to draw out truths from the Bible. Which you haven't been doing. You've been twisting God's word. Critical exegesis, historical exegesis, revealed exegesis, different ways to understand the Bible. People teach us how to do that. Okay, people can teach us how to hear God. We can learn. Yeah, again, that's you just making that up. If God wanted me to learn how to hear his voice outside of Scripture, Scripture would teach me how to do that. Uh, I was um, having lunch with a man in our church. I texted him. They said, do you mind if I use your name? Uh, and he said, no, I don't. I think if, if it will help people, it's fine. Uh, his name is Eddie Gossage. So most of you men probably know him. He's the president of Texas Motor Speedway and part owner in eight motor speedways around the around America. And uh, so we, he's a member of our church. And so we were having lunch and he said, pastor, there's something you could do to help me. And I said, sure. And he said, you talk a lot about, and God said this, and God said this, and God told me. And he said very seriously, I don't know how to hear God. Yeah, that's because, uh, Robert, you're making, you're basically well, creating the false impression that you're hearing from God outside of Scripture when you're not, and your false teaching proves that. Now, listen to me. Hearing God is not a, uh, a, a, a is not dependent upon knowledge or or depth or wisdom. It's simply dependent upon being taught, because we all need to learn. Children need to learn. So again, you're letting your metaphor become doctrine. So I told him, I'm going to tell you, and I'll go into more detail on this, but here's what I told him. I said, get alone with God every morning if you can, uh, turn on a worship CD, pray, speak to the Lord, then read in the Word, and then write down. Here's the best way, if you want to start, the best, most practical way I know, write down what you think God is saying to you through what you read that day. Just write down, I think God is saying to me through this verse, and just write it down. I think God is saying to me. In other words, what the text says is not what God is communicating. It's what, you know, there, there's another form of communication taking place, another message apart from what the text says. Boy, that's a problem. A few months later, we had lunch, and he said to me, I have great news for you. I said, what? He said, I'm hearing God. For the first time in my life. No, if you've read your Bible, then you're hearing from God. 
Wow. So a Christian who's read his Bible has never heard from God until he basically used God's word to think that God's communicating to him other than what the text actually says. Wow. I am hearing God on a regular, consistent basis. So it's innate. It's learned. Here's the third thing I want to tell you about the ability to hear God. It's matured. So the ability to hear God is innate. The ability to hear God is learned. And the ability to hear God is matured. And yet he hasn't used any biblical text rightly to teach any of these points of his. Okay, let's think about children again. Do children... Uh, Going back to your analogy, your metaphor, not the word of God, what you think is reasonable, your doctrines. Children need to mature in their communication skills. Okay, let me give you some examples just to help remind you. Um, Children, before they're taught will say things that you're not supposed to say. Man, are you fat. How old are you, Grandma? We don't ask Grandma how old she is. You just have to teach them. Uh, years ago, I debated whether to use this illustration because this, it's a story, but I'm using it as an illustration. And, and his illustrations rise to the level of Christian doctrine. That's weird. True. But I debated whether to tell you this because when I tell you about the setting, you'll understand how long this was ago. So this was a long time ago. It's back when they, would, they had a, a big, they don't do much anymore because they do the best to get you to the table, but a big waiting room at a restaurant. And it was Sunday after church. And listen, that's how long it was. It, they had a cigarette machine in the lobby. Okay, I see. I have other people, my maturity level here. And so there was this kid that was walking around. Everybody was in church clothes. It was Sunday, you know, at church getting out time, and it was full. And this kid was walking around. His parents were sitting on one side of the lobby. On the other side was a cigarette machine. And he was standing there looking at it. And a guy came up put some money in, and bought a pack of cigarettes. And this kid turns around across this crowded waiting room and says, Daddy, that man just bought cigarettes. That man's going to hell, isn't he, Daddy? This man's going to hell, isn't he? <laughs> well, here's, here's the reason I want to say that. Obviously, cigarettes are not the sin that would send you to hell. They're bad for your health. We understand that. But not believing in Jesus is what would send a person to hell. But here's the point. He was saying what he had heard through his religious system. The reason I'm saying that is not everything you think that you hear is God. Right, like this sermon that teaches you you can hear God's voice outside of the Word of God. You're, expecting, you're expected to hear the voice of Jesus apart from those whom he has sent, his apostles. In other words, this sermon ain't preaching God's word and Christian doctrine and what Jesus actually wants us to believe. This is preaching a religious system, man-made at that. It might be your religious upbringing, and you might think it's God's voice. But if you don't have a book, chapter, and verse that backs up that idea or principle that you think you're, that, you, that you believe you heard from God, then you didn't hear from God. So let me tell you. And there's the irony here. Yeah, I mean, it, this sermon is thick with irony. Hey, just a few, as we're talking about maturity, let me tell you a few 
um, philosophies of hearing God that are immature, okay? One is a message a minute. Now, this is, I'm using Dallas Willard's phrase here. Dallas Willard was a great theologian. When- no, he wasn't. He was a philosopher. He was not a theologian. Went to be with the Lord in 2013, wrote a book called Hearing God, and it's, it's a great book. Uh, but he talked about this, a message a minute. These are the people. No, actually, that was not a good book. That was full of false doctrine, just like this sermon. That uh, tell you, uh, you know, they've heard, they hear God like 300 times a day. You know, you be in the restaurant, they'll say, uh, God just told me not to put salt on my food. <laughs> and you feel like saying, you could have read the article in Reader's Digest last month and, you know, too. Okay, okay. And let me ask you this. Do you want God to have to tell you everything to do? Now, now, does God want to communicate with us on a regular basis? Yes. But for fellowship, not for instruction alone. I mean, all right, let me say it this way. What parent here wants to have to tell your children everything to do even when they're in their 40s? Wouldn't you like them to grow up? Notice again, Christian doctrine based upon his reasoning, not a clear passage of Scripture. And learn how to make wise decisions? Certainly. Okay, I'm simply saying that God does speak. God can speak all day long to you. But the person that, that, that gets a word from God every minute, that's, that's probably not the best philosophy to have, okay? So one's a message a minute. Here's the second uh, way that uh, philosophy is that, that I don't, I believe needs to be matured is the point and hope philosophy. These are the people that I open my Bible, close my eyes, <laughs> point it, and I hope I hear God, right? I hope I'm not in the begats. That's what I hope. Okay, okay now I'm, I'm not saying that you can't open your Bible and it falls to a place that God speaks to you. But that's, obviously he can, and he can easily do that out of, you know, 1,187 chapters, 31,103 verses, okay? God can do that. That's not hard for God. But I'm just saying I wouldn't do that on every decision, okay? I actually have a friend of mine who was, this is true, he's a member of this church, in business, and his business was struggling. Okay, so that you got you to catch that because it might take you a moment to catch what happened to him. His business was struggling. He'd heard someone say that, so he closed his eyes, opened his Bible, put his finger down, and this is what he read, chapter 13. <laughs> now, that's not the word you want from God when you're asking God about the future of your business, Okay. Uh, by the way, one of the things that uh, Dallas Willard said in his book was that he heard this uh, minister one time say that God had shown him how everyone can have a life verse, and it's by taking the year you were born and using that as the chapter and the verse. Okay, the only problem with that is most of us are born 19-something, and uh, the 19th chapter of Joshua has the most verses in it, and it has 51. 1951, Joshua. So, so if you were born after 1951, uh, no life verse for you. 
And, but Dallas Willard heard this guy say it. So he thought, well, I'll just, you know, I was born in 1935. So I'll just see if God has a life verse. So he went to the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1935. This is what it says. So they got drunk and slept with him. That was his life verse. Okay, so, okay, so I don't believe in that philosophy. I think you ought to mature from the point and hope philosophy. Here's the last one, the case sera sera philosophy. And yet this whole sermon is just filled with philosophy, not biblical revelation and Christian biblical doctrine. Okay, sera, sera. They really don't know whether the guy took it from Spanish or Italian. Uh, it actually, it's close to each language, but doesn't really work in either language. But the American who wrote it thought it did. So, but what it means is whatever will be, will be. You know, Doris Day singing. How many of you remember Doris Day singing? We're going to have to get some younger people in the church. Uh, Okay. So I do too. I remember. Okay. But it's whatever will be, will be. Okay. That's not a good philosophy about hearing God. What it basically means is whatever I choose, that's just God's will. But it's not God's will. Your choice is not always God's desire for your life. So we need to mature to the place where we can hear God's voice and make the right decision. So I want to give you a, an example of what just happened just a couple months ago. And I'm, 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 yeah, another um, outside of Scripture thing that's supposed to teach us Christian doctrine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a sola scriptura guy, you know. I'm, I haven't told you this. I've been waiting. I just thought about it with this series, and I thought, wow, what a great example of God speaking and why God speaks. Uh, so... Uh, this is a, let me show you, this is a, the last Christmas card that we sent, a picture of my family. Um, and so you can see there on your right is my oldest son, Josh, his wife, Hannah, Grady, and Willow, Debbie and I in the middle there. And then uh, on my, on your left, Ethan, my son-in-law, and Elaine and their two daughters. Um, and you can kind of tell Ethan is my son-in-law Well, I mean, it's obvious he's taller than the rest of the family. And uh, okay, so, and then, and then James and Bridget, uh, my son and daughter-in-law, and they're two boys. Okay, so, by the way, Ethan and Elaine, they have two girls. They're pregnant with their third, and it's a boy. So, they're pregnant. And, but my son, Aunt James, on the left, they're on the seat on the bench, and his wife, and his wife sings on the worship team at Southlake's son, Bridget. They have two boys. Uh, but they've also had two miscarriages, and they've had a difficult time. So they've been praying whether to have another child or not because she's had a difficult time during, during uh, pregnancy. And so we had our fast, our 21-day fast, if you remember, January 10th through the 31st, and she was praying that if they were supposed to have another child, that God, someone close to them would give them a word during the 21-day fast. And on January 31st, I was standing on the front row, about to preach. It was during worship. I was just worshiping God. I looked up. Bridget was standing like right here, almost in front of me, leading worship. And the Lord said to me, Bridget's pregnant on the last day of the 21-day fast, and she'd been praying. So that night, we were having a family meal. just happened. And I said, I have an announcement to make. (laughs) Well, I did. (laughs) And so they were like, oh, okay, what's, what's your announcement? And I said, Bridget's pregnant. 
And everyone kind of laughed, you know, and then James and Bridget, they, they looked at me like, are you serious? I said, yes, I'm serious. Bridget's pregnant. I could see the look on Bridget's face as she's processing because she'd prayed this and she had not told James that she had prayed this. She just prayed someone close to them would give them a word. So she's processing. And so then James said, well, it's, it's, she's not pregnant. I didn't say that. She's not pregnant. It's impossible. She's not pregnant. And I said, well, say whatever you want. I'm telling you, the Lord said she's pregnant. <laughs> so because I was so strong and they kept coming back to me, even before they left, they came over and said, now, are you serious about, I said, I'm serious. God. Now notice here that this sermon now really makes it so that who's the man of God here? Not Jesus. Yeah, it's Robert Morris. I mean, he's the one people are coming to. How do I hear from God? Yeah, oh, and wow, he's a prophet too. He's hearing, oh, we, we got to be like him. We got to be matured like he is. Yeah, this really makes Robert Morris look good. Makes us feel, well, man, I, I, I don't hear God the way he does. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Uh-huh. Right, all of a sudden, Robert Morris becomes the man of God. And notice he isn't preaching Christ. No, no, no. Yeah. He hears Christ himself. You know, he's one of his sheep. He hears Christ himself outside of the Bible. God said it. So they went to the doctor. And the doctor said, well, you're not pregnant. As a matter of fact, your progesterone levels are too low for you to even get pregnant. You could, it would be impossible for you to get pregnant right now. And that's why she miscarried twice is because her progesterone, a hormone that your body should produce, was not being produced at the level it should be. And so that's why she miscarried twice. And so in the pregnancy with her, with her other son there, she took it so that, you know, it, it would help her not to be, miscarry. So they, he said, well, it's impossible, actually. You couldn't get pregnant. And um, so, uh, but if you're even thinking about it, you, you should start taking progesterone. And so they said, because I had that word and I was so strong about it, they said, we, we feel like, well, I'll just start taking it then. So she started taking the medicine. Well, she went back a few weeks later to check her level, and the doctor checked her level, and then he said, um... Uh, you're pregnant. <laughs> and they said, we thought you said your, our level was uh, too low to get pregnant. He said, well, I don't know how to have them, but you're pregnant. And uh, so they said, well, uh, you know, you, you, you count so many days and also how, how long am I pregnant? And he said, four weeks and six days. And they went back and July, January 31st, when I gave him the word was four weeks and five days. <laughs> She'd been pregnant one day. Well, he's a prophet, you know. Despite the fact he twists God's word, who told him this? Couldn't be the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit would not basically support it with signs and wonders the ministry of a man who's twisting the word of God the way he is and habitually has been doing for years and years and years and years. Now, I'm not saying that so that we get excited about an accurate prophetic word. I'm saying that because I believe God gave the word to save the baby's life so that she would start taking the medicine that she needed to be able to carry the baby. You see what I'm saying? Here's the bottom line. I'm a sheep. By the way, it didn't say my shepherds hear my voice. I mean, we hope they do. (laughs) Yeah, again, Jesus said the one who hears the ones he sent hear him. That's what Jesus said. But says, my sheep, God wants to speak to you. 
I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Done. Yeah, you get the point. So does uh, John 10 teach us that we will hear direct revelation from God? No, it doesn't. When you employ the other hermeneutical technique of Scripture interpreting Scripture, Jesus made it clear how we hear his voice. It's through the ones he sent. Yeah. So that's the idea. Just in, in the same way, the one who hears Christ hears the Father. Yeah, that's what Jesus taught as well. Even though we haven't heard the, the voice of the Father, we hear the voice of the Father through Christ. We also then hear the voice of Christ through the ones he sent, and that's his apostles. Yeah, so we got a big problem here. We got a false teaching based upon a twisting of God's word, refusal to exegete it correctly and acknowledge that Jesus was speaking using a figure of speech, otherwise known as a parable, uh, making it, well, well, interpreting it as if it's literal, uh, not paying attention to the fact that it was a figure of speech, and then ignoring the other passages of Scripture that clearly reveal how we hear the voice of Christ. It is through the ones he sent, his apostles. So, yeah. And, uh, boy, all glory goes to uh, Robert Morris there, doesn't it? He's the man who's mature enough to practice what he preaches and hears direct revelation because he's a sheep. Oh, and if you're not hearing God's voice, well, there's something wrong with you. You're not mature. You're not, you're not obeying. You're, you've got it wrong. Uh-huh. And it was so bad. You know, the, the, like the quintessential moment in there was the guy in his own congregation who said he'd never heard the voice of God. Uh huh. Despite the fact he was attending a church that supposedly preaches the Bible, if you read the Bible, you are hearing the active, living voice of God. Very scary stuff indeed. So, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by Carrie's death on the cross, for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>